Welcome to Rose Tinted, a podcast where we challenge the limits of our nostalgia by re-examining some of our favourite childhood movies. I'm Ollie Chip. And I'm Paddy HK. And today we will be discussing Jack Frost. So you uh, didn't have a good time with the movie. You know I I don't get into the Christmas spirit very easily as it is. Mm. Now I know why. (laughs) I think it's because I watched this when I was younger and it's just crippled me for life. Your problems with Christmas begin and end with this movie is that what you're saying ollie yeah essentially it dug up some of the horrible like emotions yeah see this is why i actually suggested that you watch the movie yesterday because here's the thing we're peeping behind the curtain a little bit but today is december 1st it is the first day of christmas and i have spent the past two hours putting up my christmas tree lighting my fairy lights drinking some hot chocolate and i'm actually feeling pretty christmassy but I gather, because you've spent the past two hours watching the movie we're about to discuss, that you are not quite feeling the same. No, I mean, usually I get into the Christmas spirit around, like, Boxing Day. Yeah, when it's all out of the way. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. When the stress is done, I can actually relax. But this film just, to be fair, didn't stress me out. Just put me into a coma for two hours. To be fair, that's pretty Christmassy. That's pretty Christmassy. I don't know what sums up the Christmas spirit more then slowly slipping into unconsciousness on your sofa. Yeah, you know when the bit in the movie where he's like slowly melting? (laughs) Yes. That resonated with me, that bit. Yeah, the emotional climax of the movie where the (laughs) snowman is melting and his son is trying to save him. Uh, yeah. And when the, I think he says something, says something along the lines of, let me go. And I'm like, fucking <laughs> hell, dude, I feel you. Yeah. Let me go. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, uh, obviously, we've sort of started getting into it a little bit already, but we are discussing Jack Frost today for our Christmas special. I have no idea if this will actually be out in time for Christmas. But, you know, let's say you're just a really Christmassy person and Christmas has been over for a month or two at this point, then you just get to revisit it with us. You get to revisit Ollie's very special brand of Christmas cheer. Um, But before we get into that, I just need to give a bit of background info to anyone who may not have heard this podcast before. So Ollie and I are old friends who decided to make a list of our favourite childhood movies so we could revisit them one by one and see if they still hold up to scrutiny. Some loose rules for our selection process. The movies have to bear some kind of significance to our childhood or early adolescence and we try to only select movies that we have not watched since that time. So without further ado, Ollie, why don't you tell us a little bit about Jack Frost? Yeah, so Jack Frost is a Christmas movie, if you haven't guessed already. Uh, It was released in 1998, so just before the turn of the century. Century. And if that's the state society was at at the turn of the century, I can sort of see why people started to have crisis around the year 2000. <laughs> yeah. It stars Michael Keaton for some reason. Yeah. Kelly Preston as his long suffering wife. <laughs> and uh, Joseph, is it Joseph Moss as 
the young Charlie, who's the child protagonist in the film. I think it's Joseph Cross as Charlie. Cross, that's right. My handwriting is so terrible that I couldn't read that properly, yeah. Yeah, and also Mark Addy. Robert Baratheon. Robert Baratheon <laughs> is in this movie, but he also plays uh, one of the characters in The Full Monty, and it just so happens that in this movie he is playing exactly the same character. Wasn't the Full Monty just prior to this? Yeah, yeah. Is he in this off the back of the Full Monty success, do you think? Yeah, I believe so. I believe so. But for the purposes of this episode, I want to propose that we just refer to him as Robert Baratheon from now on. <laughs> yeah, okay. okay. Loki, actually one of my favourite characters in the Game of Thrones. Oh yeah, 100%. I really like Rob Baratheon. I think yeah. he's great. In fact, all of the Baratheons kick ass. Stannis yeah. is a legend. Yeah, I mean, Stannis the Manus. Can we just talk about Game of Thrones instead of this? <laughs> <laughs> no, because then eventually we'll get to like season seven, season eight, and we'll just start to spiral again. So we're just putting off the inevitable, really. Yeah, I suppose. But like, you know, it's got winter and shit in it, so it sort of counts. That's true. That's true. <laughs> but we can take solace in the fact that at the very least, Mark Addy, who plays Robert Baratheon, Mark Addy's career was not completely derailed by this absolute shit show of a movie. So <laughs> let's just, true. let's take comfort in that fact, at least. Um, it was directed by Troy Miller, who, um, have you seen a picture of Troy Miller? No. Go on his Rotten Tomatoes profile and look at the picture that he's got on there. Okay. And tell me that isn't the most glorious picture you've ever seen. Oh my goodness me. Oh my goodness me. <laughs> that is, uh, that is... That is business at the front and party at the back. The dictionary definition. That is quite the hairdo. Okay, gentle listeners, please take a moment to take a break from this podcast and just Google Troy Miller Rotten Tomatoes and just feast your eyes upon this man's magnificent mane. I think, yeah, <laughs> business in the front, party in the back barely sums it up. <laughs> Wow. So yeah, Troy Miller. Interestingly, he's directed, and I think he did a bit of production, or a bit of producing, sorry, on Flight of the Concords for one, mm. and also Arrested Development. So he's got some pretty good sitcom back catalogue going on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and then this, for some reason. Yeah, and also looking at his Rotten Tomatoes profile now, because you've just directed me there, his lowest rated movie is 10%. That's Dumb and Dumberer. His highest rated movie is rated 100% which is apparently Nate Bargatz, the greatest average American. So this man is literally navigating the entire tomato spectrum, it would seem. <laughs> He's flip-flopping, isn't he? Yeah, and I know that I know for a fact that Jack Frost happens to sit on the lower end of that spectrum. I think it sits around 20, 30%, something like that. It's 19%, actually. 19%. Okay, so it's yeah. just been edged out by Dumb and Dumber in terms of, you know, garbage. I think when he was directing Jack Frost and Dumb and Dumber, he was directing with the front of his haircut. Right, okay. Whereas with his 100% Rotten Tomatoes score movie, whatever it was called, he was definitely directing with the back of his haircut. Agreed, agreed. I think we can all agree on that. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, this movie, according to Wikipedia, this movie cost between, and this actually is eye-watering, this movie cost between 40 and $85 million to make. Which is a large spectrum. I don't know why they couldn't, like, get a nail-on figure there. Yeah, it's either 40 million or twice that amount. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but it did actually... It actually made 34.6 million, so whichever way you look at it, it still lost money. And deservedly so. Deservedly so. <laughs> like, let's be real. I mean, it is, it is like, so dull. Yeah. I've not seen a movie with such abject boredom 
uh, before. Like, it's just, it's so dull. It's just turgid. Yeah. I mean, we are absolutely getting ahead of ourselves here, but yeah, I don't think it'll come as any surprise to any of our listeners that we did not particularly enjoy this movie. Um, but before we get into it too much, do you want to give me your synopsis, please? Okay. Jack is a loving husband and a father, as well as a talented musician. But one <laughs> but one stormy night, he tragically crashes his car and dies. Fortunately, the magic of a harmonica and the love of his family give him a second chance to reconnect with his son, Charlie. Together, they both realise the importance of love, friends and family. <laughs> yeah. I tried to say that with as much verb as I could. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. And then I've gone for a little bit a little bit of an obvious one-liner. Mm-hmm. Um, so forgive me for this, but I've put ice melting has more drama. Yeah, yeah, which is ironic really because they really do try and string the drama out of ice melting in this movie. I mean, yeah, truly the dramatic climax of this movie is ice melting and yet somehow <laughs> ice melting in real life is still more dramatic. I mean, uh, ice melting has more drama was my first choice of mm. one-liner. My second choice was frostbite is more fun. Uh, yeah, I mean, both of those things are true. I've never experienced frostbite, but uh, I can only imagine that death would come more quickly. Yeah, and thank the Lord for that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So I guess uh, why is this movie on the list for us today, Ollie, other than the fact that I suggested it and made you watch it? Well, it's a late 90s Christmas movie and maybe wasn't quite as popular and prolific as I thought it was initially. Mm. Like, looking at how much money it made, I was like, oh shit, maybe this wasn't actually quite as popular and successful as I initially thought it was. Yeah. But I just remember having a copy of it. Yeah. But I didn't watch it very much. Maybe because the Santa Claus is better. Yeah. <laughs> and I watched that a lot when I was a kid. Um, but yeah, it's on the list because it's just another one of those Christmas movies that's just on the conveyor belt of Christmas movies that you chuck on for children. Hmm. What about you? Do you have any like strong memories of it? Because I really didn't have too many. Like I remember the vividly the image of the snowman because it's absolutely horrifying. Yeah. But other than that, I didn't really have many ideas about what the plot was mainly because there isn't much of a plot i expect but like is there anything that jumped out to you like any memories that you have or no not really i remembered very little from this movie i remembered liking it but i also didn't revisit it often i remembered weirdly enough i remembered that the dad wore jeans and had an earring (laughs) (laughs) what a vague memory yeah (laughs) and that sticks in my mind because as a kid that's what I associated with dads. So I remember thinking, yep, that's definitely a dad. Dad confirmed. <laughs> I also remembered <laughs> I also remembered the dad being a rock star and thinking that was really cool. Rock star. <laughs> yeah, rock yeah. star. In the loosest sense possible. Yeah. But I, I remembered him being a rock star in air quotations and thinking that was really cool and wishing my dad was also a rock star that could play harmonica, which obviously runs completely counter to the film's supposed message. um, So I remembered a scene of uh, Michael Keaton playing the harmonica vividly. And I also remembered there being a snowball fight with some bullies. 
and that one of the bullies had spiky hair. Yeah, he looks like the lead singer of The Offspring, doesn't he? He looks like insert slightly edgy pop punk band here, basically. Yes. Um, but yeah, that was more or less all I remembered of it. So I guess we shouldn't really waste any more time, Ollie. Shall we just get into discussing some of the things we enjoyed in this movie? Let's try. Shall we try? Let's try. It's Christmas. Okay, so we've got the arduous task of picking out some good stuff here. You're usually better at this than I am anyway, so why don't we start with you, Paddy? What did you enjoy, air quotes, about this film? Well, before I get into this, I do want to give a little bit of a disclaimer that I am being incredibly generous in this section. Mm. This is just the stuff that... I felt a slightly positive feeling when watching the film. So... Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Before you start, before you start. <laughs> there we go. Okay, you ready? There's no better noise in the world than that, other than maybe opening a can. Yeah, in terms of podcast ASMR, there truly is no better sound than you <laughs> cracking a bottle of wine, pouring it into a glass and drowning your <laughs> sorrows as you have to discuss this movie. <laughs> Anyway, yes, continue, Paddy. I'm ready now. First and foremost, obviously it is a Christmas movie, and so I can't lie, any time I'm watching a Christmas movie, if there's a little bit of a Christmassy soundtrack, if there's snow-covered buildings, anything like that, it does warm my insides a little bit. I can't lie. And that is being incredibly generous to this movie, right? Because it, by default, it doesn't have to try very hard to do that. But... I'm oddly forgiving of any movie that contains snow. And there's a couple <laughs> <laughs> And there's a couple of, you know, Christmassy tunes in the credits of the movie. And uh, yeah, that sort of got me into the mood. So that's point number one. Get that out of the way really quickly. Point number two. <laughs> You're gonna laugh at this. I thought there was some semi-decent child acting from the lead who played Charlie at points. I thought he was a much better actor than the woman who plays his mum. Yes. I thought he was putting in a lot more effort than Michael Keaton. Yes. Michael Keaton looked like he couldn't get out of there quick enough. Oh, well, he's not even fucking in the movie for two thirds of it because he's replaced by a CGI snowman. That's what I mean. Like the first 40 minutes, although it's like the slowest, most arduous slog I've ever experienced on screen, it still felt like Michael Keaton was rushing through the scenes. He literally like bounds onto set and then bounds out again as quickly as yeah. he fucking can so like the benchmark is low for the acting quality in this film anyway so in terms of like you know the scale of acting quality the child does rate reasonably high on that but that's just because everyone else is fucking awful yeah that is true but then again we've watched quite a few movies with child actors in them and a lot of them have been absolutely dreadful and i think this kid was sort of above average most of the time he was quite flat but when an emotional reaction was required of him I thought it was fairly well executed. He seemed to be embodying the character quite well. Let me ask you then. So we've watched quite a few movies with some child actor protagonists. Mm. Who ranks the highest on your list of the films that we've seen? I would say probably Lex and Tim from Jurassic Park. Mm. Mm. They're probably up there. I thought Bastion from NeverEnding Story was quite good. Kirsten Dunst in Small Soldiers. Yeah, I was going to say Kirsten Dunst was good. Big Daddy. Mm, mm, mm. Free Willy. Mm, not quite. The Witches? Nah. Nah. 
<laughs> that kid was shit. Nah. That, kid, nah. that kid was shit. I, I think he was probably the worst, actually. He was definitely at the bottom of the pile. So, yeah, Charlie's doing a much better job than that kid. Yeah, fair. And then I just have two more minor points on my list. First and foremost, and this should have been top of my list, Henry Rollins is in this movie. Like, little cameo from Henry Rollins. And as soon as he appeared on screen... I literally laughed out loud because like (laughs) Henry Rollins, obviously lead singer of Black Flag, hardcore punk icon, raging spoken word artist. And he's playing the fucking hockey coach in this movie. (laughs) Who develops a, who develops a phobia of snowmen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that was like, that was actually a narrative thread in this movie that I really enjoyed. Every so often the movie would pick up with Henry Rollins and you'd just see him like, Anytime he was like driving past the snowman, he'd be like deliberately avoiding looking at it and just like he couldn't have people mentioning snowmen around him. And, you know, bless him, not the best actor in the world, but he's got energy, he's got charisma, and I just thought it was legitimately hilarious that he was in this movie. Do you know what's weird about it as well is that there's some other rock icons in this film. Did you notice that three of Frank Zappa's children have cameo roles in this film? (laughs) Yeah, I was going to bring that up as well. It's wild. (laughs) What is that about? I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, you've got Dweezil Zappa, Moon Unit Zappa, and then one of his other kids whose name I forget, but they play basically, I think Moon Zappa is an uncredited role potentially as the school teacher is what most people think. Dweezil Zappa plays the record exec that wants to sign the band. And let's just pause there for a second. How fucking insulting (laughs) is it to have the son of one of the most genius musicians of the 20th century? One of the most genius musicians of all time, mate, in the entirety of humanity. Yeah, you've got his son, who in his own right is also an incredible musician, playing a record exec who is legitimately creaming his pants at the prospect of signing this completely subpar, below-average blues rock pub band. It was, like, absolutely <laughs> insulting to the memory of Frank Zappa that his son was in this movie. <laughs> yeah, man. I don't know why the Zappas chose to descend on Jack Frost. Somewhat going on behind the scenes there, isn't there? Somewhat going on behind the scenes. Yeah, for sure. Maybe it's because Michael Keaton had, had all the drugs. That's why they're there. To be fair, though, Zappa was teetotal. Zappa was completely teetotal. His only drugs were nicotine and caffeine. He was outspokenly anti-drugs. What about his children, though? If you're called fucking Moon Unit, you've got to be doing some drugs. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. This is how they're paying for their drugs. This is how they're paying for the drugs that they need to sustain themselves through being named Dweezil and Moon Unit, basically. (laughs) They have to accept roles in movies like this just to numb the pain. (laughs) But yeah, the cameos were great. Henry Rollins is awesome. I could do with about 90% less Snowman and about 200% more Rollins in this movie, frankly. Yeah, for sure. And um, credit where credit is due. This is my last point on my good stuff list. There were some occasional genuine laughs like either chuckles and then one genuine laugh oh fuck off yeah yeah there was a couple like when okay so the only real laugh that i had was when uh, robert baratheon and charlie's mum are trying to locate charlie they're talking to a police officer and they're like he's with a snowman and the police officer's like can you describe the snowman and then robert baratheon just goes five eight white 
stocky <laughs> build. <laughs> like, and for some reason that just got me. What is good about that though is Robert Baratheon goes five eight white, and then the police officer goes Caucasian. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And also just um, Baratheon's delivery of that line. I thought was quite good. That did get a genuine laugh out of me. So that was about it for my good stuff. What about you, Ollie? I had one thing and it only really hit home when I was reading through the credits at the end of the film because I'll, I'll admit, Paddy, I was watching this film and I was like, you know what? I quite like some of the costuming and puppeteering of the, of the snowman, but I'm not mm. going to say that it's good because this film does not deserve to have any positives written about it. Yeah. And then I read in the credits that it was Jim Henson's Creature Shop that did the puppeteering on the on the snowman. I was like, all right, I'll throw a dog a bone and I'll, I'll mention it in the podcast now. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I actually quite enjoyed some of the prosthetic snowman costuming. Uh, I particularly liked the way that they managed to articulate the stick arms with the mittens on them. I thought that was quite charming, actually. But it's absolutely ruined and we're going to segue into our one of our favourite features on the podcast. Um, it was absolutely <laughs> ruined by the CGI in this film. So, uh, Paddy, should we just take a trip over to CGI Corner and discuss our favourite and least favourite moments of computer-generated imagery in Jack Frost. Yeah, so I'll be honest with you, Ollie. I didn't actually clock at first that there was puppetry going on. In fact, I was building myself up to have this really awful CGI experience and uh, you know the first 20 minutes of the movie were happening and I was like okay the CGI is coming soon and I'm just preparing myself for how awful it is and when he first transforms into the snowman I was actually quite pleasantly surprised by how good it looked yeah me too and I'm not 100% sure what was CGI and what was puppetry which I guess goes to show you that the sort of way it was balanced at points was fairly effective so it's a bit challenging for me to say what the best moment of CGI is because it could very well be that that moment is actually something that was achieved through puppeteering, right? Mm. And that they've actually just managed to disguise it quite well. But I can definitely tell you what the worst moment of CGI is, which is definitely 100% when Jack Frost the Snowman and Charlie are sledging down that mountain. <laughs> Good Lord. <laughs> that is that. Is that the worst CGI we've had on the podcast so far? Because I think it might be. I genuinely think it might be. It was horrible. It was truly horrible. <laughs> I take it you would agree with that sentiment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was definitely the worst bit. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's so up. bad. Ugh. Oh man, Fuck me. are there any other really particularly terrible C CGI moments that stood out to you? Um, I mean, a lot of the more dynamic movements of the snowman are achieved through CGI, and when the snowman has to move quickly in any fashion, it looks terrible. Yeah, yeah. So when he's running or sliding or sledging, he just looks. It just looks so bad. <laughs> well, dude, the blending between the snowman and the environment is so bad. <laughs> I've literally never seen anything like it. And do you know what? Do you know what makes that even more hilarious? Is that the blending between the snowman and the environment is bad, but the snowman is made of snow and the environment is ninety-five percent snow. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> oh god, it was just such a nightmare. And just oh. generally, as you say, like whenever the snowman's moving dynamically and in sort of medium long shot, it looks absolutely horrendous. But when it's in like close up or medium close up, it actually looks okay. Yeah. And I suspect that's largely down to the puppeteering. But I guess I thought the facial animation was achieved quite well. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong, it looks horrendously uncanny. And there's not a lot going on in, like, you know, the emotive expression department. But the movement itself of the facial expressions was quite good. I mean, yeah, exactly. And fair play, I guess. Fair play that they managed that. Yeah, yeah. We've got to give it that. It's got, well, no, it's got Henry Rollins and it's got some adequate puppeteering. And yeah. that's about it. Okay. Well, yeah, should we just uh, move into bad stuff? What do you think? <laughs> You're fucking right we need to move into bad stuff. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, okay, Paddy. So, um, bad stuff, finally. Here's where the meat is. Uh, what you got? Well... The first thing I want to talk about, and I just want to read out the heading that I've got in my notes for the first thing that jumped out to me that was bad in this movie, okay. and it is simply, what is this band? <laughs> Tell me about this, Ollie. What is, what is this band that Michael Keaton is playing in in this movie? I think, what is this band is question number one, and question number two is, why is this band? Yeah, why is this band, and why is this audience, more importantly? Why is this audience... Who are they? Why did they come That's Because that's the opening scene of the movie, right? Yeah. They're at a gig. The Jack Frost Band, creatively named, <laughs> playing, as you said, distinctly mediocre sort of blues rock. I, do, I honestly couldn't fathom it. There's no reason why Michael Keaton has to be a musician. No, yeah, absolutely. There's no reason for it whatsoever. There's no sort of like thematic element to it. The only reason I can think that he's in a band is so he can give his son a harmonica. Yeah, yeah, because nobody else would ever use a harmonica except a subpar blues musician. There's no other possibility. There's no other thing that they could have used other than a, it just had to be a harmonica. They were contractually obliged to have a harmonica in this movie. But I honestly can't answer your question. I was at the same point. When I saw the opening number, as it were, over the credits at the start, I was like, why? Yeah. Why is this happening? Why Why have we got a band? What's going on here? And they're not even good. If they were good, if it was good music and like interesting new music, it's the late 90s for fuck's sake and they're playing like the most dull, bland dishwater music what's hilarious is as well is like at the moment um, i'm re-watching the sopranos right uh okay. which i used as a palate cleanser immediately after watching this movie good for you man good for you but yeah like obviously there's that episode in the sopranos in season one of the sopranos where adriana wants to sign that band right and the band is being very deliberately framed by the show as being super mediocre and they sound more or less exactly the same as this band but the difference <laughs> yeah. is that this movie is trying to convince you that they are the hottest shit ever yeah. basically like literally ever the audience yeah. is acting like this band is the best thing they've ever seen and then you've got poor fucking dweezil zapper playing this record exec holding yeah, up the phone and he has the first line of dialogue in the movie and it's something like listen we need to sign these guys and it was just mind-blowing because this is just a deep 
misunderstanding of how the music industry as a whole works, but also how instruments work, because that was the main thing that jumped out to me. Now, you're a drummer, Ollie. I'm a drummer. Was this, or was this not, some of the single worst <laughs> drum miming you have ever seen in a motion picture? I mean, the drum miming was bad, but like... How do you badly mime a harmonica? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I could mime a harmonica pretty easily. (laughs) You don't even need a physical harmonica to mime a harmonica. You just cup your hands over your mouth. I know, right? And (laughs) they managed to mess that up as well. But I want to go back to Zappa as the agent. Yeah. Is this not all just a big joke? Are they not all in on this joke? It can't possibly be being played straight, this. Yeah, I think there might be an element of that because I think there are, and I'll go on to this a little bit later, but I think there's a hand of moments of fleeting self-awareness in this movie and I think these guys potentially saw this as an easy paycheck an easy paycheck that they could just take the piss out of and it just ended up falling flat on its face and they didn't end up making any money from it (laughs) which is good uh, because that's super cynical I wish that would happen to Adam Sandler man I wish he would make one of those cash cow movies that he tends to make nowadays yeah and it just it just bankrupts him yeah imagine yeah. Can you imagine the karma? It would just be glorious, wouldn't it? Yeah, and I'd be karma. I'd be much karma <laughs> as well. But um, that uh, was the first thing that jumped out to me about this yeah. movie. Well, the first thing that jumped out of you that was bad was the opening scene. Yeah, literally. I'm just going to run you through my bullet points here <laughs> as I started making notes. Um, first bullet point I made before the movie had even really started because I remembered the band being in it. I wrote, I wonder how good this band are actually going to be. I'd imagine not very. Second bullet point. <laughs> Holy shit, the keyboard player is Robert Baratheon. <laughs> and then the rest is what we've already discussed. Um, but what about you, Ollie? There's plenty of issues with this movie. What were some of the things that jumped out to you? Well, I want to I wanna ask you, Paddy, is uh, Michael Keaton as Jack Frost a better or worse casting choice than Michael Madsen in Free Willy? I would have to say that Michael Madsen is definitely worse. Really? I would say so, yeah. Because even though Michael Keaton is completely phoning it in, even though he's giving the blandest performance of his life, he sort of looks the part. He looks like a twat. Yeah, he does, but he's an aging wannabe musician. So that sort of fits, right? Like, that's kind of like... Yeah, Yeah, fair one. And I say that as an aging wannabe musician. (laughs) I was about to say, like, people in glass houses, but you got there first, so it's all good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I know what I'm talking about, innit? But, like... (laughs) You're the expert. But I would say that Michael Madsen just edges him out because he brings a totally unwarranted level of intensity to that family-friendly movie. And I would say that intensity is precisely the opposite of what Michael Keaton brings to this film. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But you are right in that it's a completely not only an uninspired casting choice, but also an uninspired performance all around. Yeah, and, and, you know, if you've got a bad script, sometimes you can mask it with good performances. Yeah. But this had the double whammy of a terrible, and I mean, like, absolutely diabolical script being performed by people who could not give less of a shit about it. So it's like a perfect storm, really. Yeah, the script was just horrendous really really horrendous and it was kind of like we've had a couple of movies on the podcast the most notable to me that's immediately springing to mind is uh, the pokemon movie but we've had a couple of movies where the script <laughs> has been like human beings don't 
talk to each other like this, right? Yes. And this felt like one of those movies, like the attempt at casual witty banter between the characters is just like horrible all the time. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 one, the one that really stood out to me, again, near the start, the first 40 minutes of this film, I had to, I had to pause the movie uh, and just check how long I had been enduring it. And I was 35... 36 minutes in and we still hadn't got through the first act yet so I mean there's a pacing issue to begin with anyway but it was during that horrible slog in the opening half an hour where there's like a scene of about I reckon about a minute a minute and a half where Michael Keaton and his on-screen wife are having a bit of banter about chapstick yeah oh god lip balm the fact that that's the first time those characters interact that's the first time you see those characters interacting on screen and it's meant to establish their chemistry it's meant to establish their romantic connection and they're having this sort of like you say this flirtatious interaction he's pretending to be a stranger that's just rocked up to the house and he's like oh i need some chapstick can i borrow some of yours because you know that isn't the most disgusting thing to say to another person. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, and yep. so they're basically flirting around the idea of him kissing her chapstick off her lips or some shit. Ugh. And it's just, it was so cringy. That was yeah. the worst thing about it. It made me, it just made me cringe. Yeah, it was repulsive, really. <laughs> yeah, repulsive <laughs> is a good word for it. And then, um, again, I actually pulled a couple of Rotten Tomatoes quotes for this film because I was just having so much fun reading the reviews. According to Matt Brunson of Film Frenzy, this is from his Rotten Tomatoes review, so I'm just going to quote him. It took four screenwriters to come up with dialogue so horrendous it could have single-handedly ushered in a new era of silent cinema. Yeah, I read that one too. I thought that was great. And then he quotes a line, you the man, no, you the man, no, I'm the snowman. <laughs> yeah. That was as well, incidentally, in that terrible CGI nightmare that is the sledging scene. Yeah, and I think that segues quite nicely into some of the absolutely terrible humour in this movie. <laughs> Wouldn't you agree, Ollie? Uh, yes, I would, funnily enough. I actually have a question for you, Ollie. Go on. When you're watching a children's Christmas movie, yeah, and you're having a grand old time, you're just really getting into the Christmas spirit, yeah. on average, how, <laughs> how many cock and ball jokes do you want in your children's <laughs> Christmas movie? <laughs> I want about as many cock and ball jokes as I want arse jokes. <laughs> Which is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> At least a dozen. And a tit joke for good measure. Yeah, a couple of tit jokes. <laughs> And yes. yeah, at least a dozen cock and ball jokes and yeah. <laughs> maybe half a dozen butt jokes. Oh dear, that is truly, <laughs> there's truly no finer way to celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ <laughs> than through truly, truly excessive cock and ball jokes in a child's movie. Do you know what I find audacious as well about this film is that they have this tender moment where Michael Keaton goes outside with Charlie and builds a snowman together and the first thing he does as a father of an 11 year old boy is put a dick on it. And then the line is like, Dad, I said nose. And then he's like, oh, I thought you said hose. And yeah. it's just like, it's not even a well-written penis joke. <laughs> I mean, as far as far as Christmas penis jokes go. Do they exist? Do well-written penis jokes exist? I'm not even sure they do. I'm sure there's a handful. <laughs> 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 but um, yes, there's not one, not two, 
but three cock and ball jokes in this movie. There's uh, the first one, you know, I thought you said a hose. Yeah. Uh, when dad comes back as a snowman, he uh, the first thing he realizes is he has no genitals. So he looks down and says, oh no. So there's penis joke number two. And then, uh, yeah, the third one is my balls are freezing. I never thought that would be a good thing when he's, you know, he's made out of balls of snow and yeah. he starts melting and they get him into a cold area and he's like, my balls are freezing. That's good. That's the caliber of writing and humor that's going on in this movie. Yeah. What is there to say about that? All you have to do is read them out. Read the yeah. lines out and they speak for themselves, don't they, really? Uh, oh, I actually forgot. There's actually a fourth cock and ball joke, a physical cock and ball joke, because the bully, when he's sledging down the hill, slams his dick straight into a tree stump. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So we get to witness this child get pummeled <laughs> in the nuts by a tree. So great job there, movie. <laughs> great job there. And uh, <laughs> I think that actually uh, sort of also relates to another point about the humor in this movie, which is that everything with the snowman is painfully unfunny. Yeah. It's not a particularly expressive medium for physical comedy. No, it's not. I was th- I was thinking the same thing. It's just like they've sort of built themselves into a corner, haven't they, by yeah. making the making the main source of entertainment a snowman because by definition snowmen are immobile and yeah. just not very funny. Like they're yeah. not funny things, are they? Yeah, they're not expressive. And then and then you know what? Technically, they're not particularly funny you know, when they're being embodied by the soul of your dead father, right? (laughs) Yeah, we haven't even addressed that yet. This is, again, a film, a Christmas movie, no less, that basically starts with the death of a parent, again. We need to get a bell. Should we have a bell? Yeah. Or a siren or a horn. We need, like, a dead parent bell. Yeah. I'm going to make that my job when I go away and edit this episode. I am going to find a dead parent signal of some kind, and it will sound a little something like this. Right. So you haven't heard that yet, Ollie, but um, henceforth, that will be the dead parent alert. Okay. Perfect. As you rightfully point out, this is yet another movie that uh, uses the death of a parent as a jumping off point. It's weird as well, because this is coming straight off the back of a never ending story, which as we discussed, was one of the few occasions where it felt like the death of the parent trope, the dead parent in the room. Uh, was actually used quite effectively. So I'm not only in my mind comparing this to A NeverEnding Story, I'm also comparing it to um, The Santa Claus as well, because obviously that's the last Christmas movie we did, and it's also a weirdly similar premise. Yes. It's like deadbeat dad transforms into some Christmas icon to reconnect with his estranged son, which is a very strange niche, (laughs) niche (laughs) micro-genre of movie. That for some reason we had we experienced at least <laughs> twice in our childhood. <laughs> oh fucking hell! What are we doing? What I is know. this? What are we doing? But like, I mean, there's nothing inherently wrong in having a dead relative or someone dying as a important narrative event. Like, there's yeah. nothing inherently wrong with that. But what is terrible is when it's used as basically just a catalyst for things to get going. Yeah. Like, the thing about Never Ending Story is that it was a poignant thematic element that ran throughout the film. Whereas, in a lot of the examples we've seen, it's just a means to an end. Yeah. 
which I think is deeply cynical and really, really quite frustrating. Yeah. Like, there's not many examples that we've seen where it's not that. So I think Neverending Story is a good example of it. I also think maybe Mouse Hunt, potentially. Yeah, that's a bit of a different one, isn't it? Slightly different. It's like adults losing a parent and it's all tied up in the finances. Um, And I think a classic one, obviously is Bambi, where I think it is done well as well. Yes, yeah. But, I mean, for the most part, it just seems that it's a means to an end, and it's horrifically cynical and sort of uncalled for, really, particularly at Christmas. Yeah, it's Christmas, for God's sake. (laughs) (laughs) Literally, for Christ's sake, it is Christmas. Like, come on. Yeah, and I actually think the reason behind it is it's a very cheap way of immediately upping the dramatic stakes of a movie and it kind of just means that you don't have to try after that it's like you immediately get the sort of young people in the audience dramatically invested in your story because what could be more horrible than a parent dying and then you just don't have to try you coast on that for the rest of the movie yeah to be fair i was watching this with budge and i said to her why is this movie centered around the death of a parent again yeah and she's like well it's a really it's a really good way how else are you gonna get kids emotionally involved and i went so many other ways there's so many other ways you can do it and she went well name one then and i just couldn't yeah i mean (laughs) that's fair that's fair but okay let's take it as a given that this is the only way to emotionally involve kids in a movie there are still better ways of doing it yeah you can deal with it in a better way for sure yeah i go back to bambi as an example you know that is probably the thing that kicked it all off to be fair we need to do bambi don't we really we do it's i mean it's a beautiful movie and i have seen it in recent years but yeah like that's the thing that kicked it all off isn't it because it's such an impactful moment and i think other films have seen that and gone well we'll just do a bambi and it'll be fine but i think there's a way of handling such a weighty subject and gonna be honest reincarnating the spirit of your father (laughs) into a snowman is not one of them it's just very very mishandled um There's just one last little bit that I wanted to touch on here. Speaking of the Santa Claus, it's something that we've touched on in movies in the past, but it's just another familiar cliched narrative trope, which is this idea of the dissolution of the family unit and how it's impossible to function if you don't have a traditional model for a family. And they sort of nod towards this through the character of the mother. There's this running thing through the movie where she doesn't know how to fix the tap. It's implied that the reason she hasn't fixed it is because her husband's always out on tour, Mm -hmm. right? The man who fixes the pipes is always out on tour, so she just can't get it done. And what's hilarious about that, obviously, not only is that bullshit for all the obvious reasons, Mm -hmm. and not only is it this typical trope of saying, like, oh, you know, alternative family structures can't function which is nonsense. It, the most ridiculous thing about this is in the movie, uh, Jack Frost is alive and he's about to go on tour and they sort of mention that the sink needs fixing and whatever else and the mum keeps trying to fix it but she can't fix it because she's a lady. Yeah, incapable. Literally, physically and mentally incapable of fixing that sink because she is a female. But the most hilarious aspect of that is Jack Frost dies, cut to one year later. One year, 12 months have passed. And that sink still has the same issue because, okay, fair play. Like, I don't know how to fix a sink. I would also be lost, but I have the strength of mind to call a plumber, you know, like, and you would think, you would think, give this character some fucking credit. Like, it's been a year. It's been a year, presumably longer because she's been waiting for her husband to fix it for however long before this happens. But like, husband is alive, sink broken. 
Skip to 12 months later. Husband is dead. Sink still broken. broken. And she's just like, she's just like, oh God, I miss your dad. I wish he was around. I can't wait for another man to come along to help me finally fix this fucking sink. That's the height of the drama. That's the height of the drama in this movie is the dripping tap. Oh yeah. And that's the thing as well. They actually use it at, at one point because obviously Charlie, another cliched narrative trope, Charlie tries to hide the snowman version of his dad inside the snowman whilst in the house he fixes the sink and the mum notices and she's like oh Charlie did you fix the sink and it's like movie are you seriously suggesting are you trying to suggest that it is more logical (laughs) to this woman that her son has fixed this sink (laughs) than for herself to call a plumber and get it fixed or or just fix fix it it herself just fix it on her own like do you know what i mean like it was just nonsense it was completely nonsense (laughs) no but it goes even further than that because the movie's logic is a child can't fix the sink a woman definitely can't fucking fix the sink but a snowman on the other (laughs) hand definitely can a a a melting man With sticks for arms. He didn't even have fingers, mate. He doesn't even have fucking fingers. And his arms are detachable. And yet, and yet, simply by merit of the gender of the spirit that is inhabiting him, he was able to fix that sink. Uh, Oh, God. Yeah. Fucking idiocy. Just absolute idiocy. Um, But yeah. I mean, that was more or less it for me. I've got a couple of broader general points. Like, it's just turgid, as we've said. It's so slow. Oh, it's so slow. You said something about the pacing a little bit earlier. Do you want to go into that in a bit more detail? Yeah, I mean, like I said, I paused it thinking, like, when are we going to get into the into the narrative here? Because this is all set up and it was 35 minutes in and it didn't start getting into it until at least 45 minutes in yeah so the pacing is was way off in the opening and it just didn't really improve from there to be honest like when he becomes a snowman it doesn't there's no real drama to be had at any point yeah nothing happens nothing literally no i i did actually think that at the time I, i may have even said it out loud like what what's happened so far yeah. And that you honestly can't really say that anything has happened. Yeah. I tell you what does happen a lot, to be fair, is people throwing snowballs at other people. Oh yeah. That happens a lot. Yeah. I reckon there's a there's, you know, at least half the movie is people throwing snowballs at each other. Oh yeah. One of my favourite parts in the movie is when uh, Jack first gets home from his gig and Charlie's sleeping and he wakes up Charlie, who has been playing in the snow all day, and he wakes him up and he goes, Hey Charlie. It's snowing. He's like, no shit, it's snowing. And they get really excited and go outside. It's like, dude, there's literally snow everywhere. <laughs> there's been snow everywhere for weeks. You live in Colorado. <laughs> like, if that's all you have to offer your son. On that note with the snow sets is like, I, I think I said this as well while I was watching it. Like, it's clear that fake snow does not roll up very well into snowballs because yeah. the cast really struggle to make snowballs out of the fake snow that they've been tasked to use because if you if you look at them trying to cobble it together it is actually hilarious because they can't physically form snowballs yeah. out yeah, of the yeah. fake snow that they're using yeah and that's that's also uh, really evident in the scene where Jack actually crashes his car and dies and you see the shot of him you know it's a shot from outside of the windshield and, you, and it's looking in at him as he's driving the car and he's like you know peering through this blizzard you know squinting his eyes i can't see i can't see and it's just this (laughs) fucking limp ineffectual snow that's just like barely grazing his window and he's like no death by fake snow (laughs) you can see 
dude, you can yeah. see out of your windscreen. What are you talking about? And there's a moment as well where, like, after he's died, <laughs> Charlie's, like, shoveling his driveway. <laughs> and, yeah. and like I noticed that bit as well. His mum gets home. Like, I don't know, he's shoveled the driveway and then a snowplow drives past and shoves a bunch of fake snow back onto the driveway. And so he's like <laughs> frantically plow like shoveling the driveway again. And then his mum gets back and he and she's just like, Oh, don't worry, Charlie. Drive I'll just it. drive through it. And he's like, No! <laughs> this fake snow killed my father. No. <laughs> like, and it's just like this poor child has developed a genuine phobia towards oh, fake snow. God, I need to lie down. I need to lie down. <laughs> this is too much. It's too much. In summary, like, you know, the movie is so charmless. There was a slight warm and fuzzy feeling at the beginning of the movie, but that all vanished into more or less abject horror by the end. And you're right about the pacing, like with half an hour to go, I, I checked the time, there was half an hour to go. And I, I realized like absolutely nothing worthwhile has happened. No, nothing of note whatsoever. Yeah, nothing of note. And you know, the comedy scenes aren't funny. The action scenes aren't exciting. The visual effects aren't appealing. And so I was just left with this feeling of why does this film exist? Yeah, honestly, like it was a gigantic waste of time. Yeah. Like, I, I actually felt painfully the seconds of my life ebbing away while I was watching it. And that doesn't happen, like, that often at all with me. Like, even a yeah. bad movie can win you over to some degree. And our podcast is testament to that because yeah. we've had some bad movies that we've been able to talk 20 minutes or so about the things that we enjoyed. Yeah. But this movie was just so turgid in its pacing and I cannot express enough, listener, that nothing <laughs> happens. Yeah. Nothing happens. Yeah. Nothing happens. No, no, no. You know, there's a lot of snow and uh, they throw the snow. Yeah. And one of the men is made out of snow. And that is it. Yeah. That is the whole movie. And it sounds like we're being, you know, pedantic and facetious about this. But it honest, honestly, I could not tell you anything of note that happens. It was awful. And I think we need to stop talking about it yeah yeah <laughs> to be honest yeah. we're giving it far too much airtime we need to draw this shit to a close yeah definitely <laughs> with that all out of the way shall we discuss some of the changes we would like to make to this movie uh yeah let's try okay so it's that time of the episode, Paddy, where we uh, we are given the final draft almost of the script for Jack Frost by Warner Brothers, and we're asked to check over it, see if we can make any last-minute changes. What do you change? Right, well, other than throwing the metaphorical script... Straight into the bin, yeah. Yeah, I have no idea. I genuinely have no idea how to change this movie to improve it without fundamentally altering it. Mm. So... I'm just going to have to go with that instinct. I genuinely think the best way to improve this movie would be to lose the snowman angle altogether. <laughs> That's a cop out. Yeah, which obviously that alters the entire foundation of the movie. But my question is, is there a way to reshape this as a Christmas ghost story? Because that is also a part of the movie. It's essentially a ghost story, right? Particularly the opening and the ending. It's got some ghost story elements to it. The core of the narrative, a neglectful father who gets another opportunity to redeem himself after death, 
isn't necessarily a bad one, but I'm wondering how would that be explored? And there are loads of different angles you could take. So you could go for something similar to It's a Wonderful Life or A Christmas Carol, where they play with alternate realities. Yeah. You could even do something similar to Ghost or City of Angels, but in a Christmas setting. So where the spirit of the dad is actually present with the kid and you somehow weave that into a Christmas narrative. Just anything but what we've got here. <laughs> but I also guess one way to make the snowman angle work would be to like dial back the comedic aspects a lot, right? Make it an animated movie. Take this concept, make it an animated movie. Oh, you're getting his copyright issues there, though. It's funny you should say that because what I'm about to say is I'm imagining something tonally similar to the film The Snowman, but with the <laughs> added angle of the snowman being the ghost of the child's dead dad. So that sort of tone, that sort of eerie, wistful, beautiful, emotional tone but with a dead dad. And <laughs> that's sort of the only way I could think of changing this movie. Fair enough. How does that sit with you? How do those changes sit with you, first of all? I still feel that you are copping out massively, but I understand why you have to do that because it's basically impossible to make this good. Yeah. The one thing I maybe considered was that don't make it so literal. Yeah. So literally the disembodied spirit of his dad haunts a snowman and that is the premise for this film whereas i think what might be more poignant is the dad dies and he in his own head makes the snowman a ad hoc replacement for that father figure so basically what all the adults in the movie think he's already doing. yeah essentially yeah but like don't frame it comedically frame it sort of tragically yeah. like this poor kid yeah. is, has gone through such an immense trauma that this is his only coping mechanism and it's a film about him coming to terms with his actual reality and not this one he's created for himself and i think you could actually do quite a, an interesting movie about grief and coping with grief mm. and you could make it that you know he sees the snowman as this real life moving actual person but then everyone around him obviously sees him just talking to a snowman which happens <laughs> in this movie it happens all the time yeah. but like frame it tragically as opposed to a, a, a comedic tone you could even go a little bit more removed from it and make it that it's not his dad that dies that causes this but maybe his dad's just absent and just not around at christmas yeah. so to cope with it he creates a new basically a new dad or a new friend in this snowman that he creates yeah i like that i think that you'd have to be careful not to make it come across as maybe not have it like he sees him literally as his dad but like he treats the snowman as almost like a journal like he yeah. uses this snowman as kind of a sounding off board. Yeah, or a co he's using it as a coping mechanism and the film is about the adults in the f in the story trying to get him to use a more healthy coping mechanism than the one that he's found. That's the only real thing I could think of. And the melting, the gradual melting of the snowman could be like a parallel for his coming to terms with his feelings or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Either way, throw this thing in the fucking bin. Yeah, it fucking sucks. It's like literally more or less anything would be better than this. <laughs> literally anything. Like what you said earlier, watching ice melt. I might, if it snows this year, I might literally go outside build a snowman and watch it melt because I think it would truly be a form of catharsis for me to watch that happen, to watch this horrendous thing melt in front of me and not save it. I think that that would actually be very therapeutic for me. Um, but yeah, I think 
that just about does it. I feel a little bit less sane than when I began this conversation. Yeah, me too, man. But in a nice way, in yeah. a fun way. I think I'm even more filled with the Christmas spirit now that we've torn this to shreds. I don't go that far, but I take your point. Well, with that all said and done, there's just one question left to ask you, Ollie. Yes. Do you think you need rose-tinted specs to enjoy this movie, or do you think it still holds up on its own merit? Um, It has no merit, <laughs> so it can't hold up on that. So I would say that if you have any emotional attachment to this movie, it will make it mildly watchable. But if you don't have that emotional attachment, don't put yourself through the physical and emotional ordeal of watching it. I've never, I don't think I've done a clearer cut movie to date yeah. than this one for that. Like you can't watch this film and enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> to yeah, be honest. Literally. You can't enjoy this film. I think it's physically impossible. So you 100,000 million percent need nostalgia <laughs> to enjoy it. Yeah. Um, and even then, it's pushing it. Yeah, 100%. You need rose-tinted specs to enjoy this movie. It does not hold up on its own merit. And I'm saying that as someone who, you know, I didn't have a huge amount of nostalgia for this movie, but I had a little bit of nostalgia for it. Yeah. So my expectations were not high going into this, and it still managed to disappoint me. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So just don't watch this movie. Forget it exists. Michael Keaton has done much better things. Go find one of those movies and watch it instead. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Well, I guess that just about does it. Uh, before we go, I do need to say thank you to Dilettante for letting us use their song My Dress as our theme song. So you can go check them out at Dilettante Songs. They've just released a brand new album uh, called Tantrum. It's really good. So head on over to Dilettante Songs on social media and check it out because it honestly is it's a fucking great album. You can also check us out at Rose Tinted Movies on Instagram or you can email us rosetintedmovies at gmail.com. Rate the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, tell your friends, all that good stuff. But in the meantime, I have been Paddy and I've been Ollie and we have been Rose Tinted thank you very much for listening and we will see you all next time